I was just driving past a billboard on the interstate the other day about a beer, a beer commercial ad on a billboard, and it was about you know bringing chill to the holidays. And uh, I was just struck by the fact that, honestly, Christmas has become something that people don't even attach something to celebrate, really, to anymore. Uh, it's not celebration, it's just a chance to party. It's like a bunch of high school kids at the, you know, after the Friday night football game, everybody gets out and drink a bunch. And, um, or, or maybe it's uh, you get to have an exciting time because we, we spend money and buy something we would normally buy. Or, or we're looking for something special, but we're not really celebrating uh, anything. And uh, um, at least that's the call from our culture. And of course, there are some of us that are that are looking for that to celebrate, and we kind of have a sense of there's something that's supposed to be found at Christmas. There's some deal here, and for some of us, we're real clear on that. And um, you know, Dave, I just so appreciated getting to sing some Christmas carols. Somehow, in my course of life um, this season, I this is my first chance I've sung Christmas carols, um, and uh, uh, it's just so good to lock into this amazing, astonishing thing. So I guess what I want to do is I wanted to take opportunity to draw us into that. What in the world is there to celebrate? And are we one of the people that does celebrate? What will you get to experience this Christmas? What will you get to experience on the morning of the 25th? You know, um, the morning of the 25th is either sort of a big letdown because there's just been this whole sense of promise and then you realize, oh, there's nothing here. Or the morning of the 25th can be a time where you grab your Bible, you grab your thoughts, and you just re-immerse into, wow, this is actually pretty amazing. Um, and there is, according to the Bible, something astonishing to celebrate. And it's for every one of us. Goodwill to all men. The King James tells us, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And it's God's expressed action to say to every one of us, my heart toward you is goodwill. And when we see that, when we know that, we understand why people have been writing songs about it. I was just thinking, you know, as I was watching those kids, by the way, my favorite title is uh, Gramps. That's my favorite title. Um... This morning, all over the world, millions of children stood on stages like this. And I don't know anybody else whose birth is celebrated other than Jesus. I don't think there's any religious leader. I don't think there's any political leader. But for 2,000 years, the birth of this baby has been celebrated and caught up and shared with children. Um, And uh, we just want to look and capture something in there that we can hold on to. So let's do that. Let me just pray and um, walk us into some of that. Lord, we just, we just thank you that, uh, that in this crazy world of so many changes, so many challenges, so many difficulties, um, so many unknowns, the promises of God are sure and we can rest in them. And you do ask us to, and you've been asking people to do that ever since you made a promise. Asking people to believe and to look and to wait. 
So just help us understand how that, that connects with us right here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, we have that sense about Christmas that there's something to be found there. There's something, there's something that's supposed to connect. And we can look at that, think about that even when we think about our world. It's like something's not right around here. <laughs> Things should work better than they do. Things should turn out different than they do. There's somehow this is all supposed to be different. And when we look at the Bible, we see that it claims to be a book from the guy who made us all, from the guy who started all this, telling us about our world, telling us how it broke. That, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. When we look out and we go, this whole thing is broken somehow. God goes, yeah, it sure is. Here, let me tell you about it. And, and that's what the Bible explains to us. The whole thing is broken. That sense we have that somehow it should be different is exactly right. We were not made to live in this kind of a situation. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit was made to live in a, in a world very, very different than this. And that's why we sense the conflict. And, um, and God tells us in his book that he is going to resolve that. And um, uh, the very first time that's spoken, both Jewish uh, uh, theologians who are, would not uh, believe Christ is the Messiah and Christians, look clear back into Genesis chapter 4. So we're talking way back to the beginning of the Bible. And uh, Christians call it the Proto-Evangelion, the, uh, the first gospel. And the uh, Jewish scholars just see it as a reference to the coming Messiah. But Eve speaks about the fact that, that uh, 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 well, uh, well, God first tells Eve that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And Eve seems to understand that. And in Genesis chapter 4, she indicates that she believes her child, Cain, is that child, which of course it was not. But the voice of God has come into the world in ways that somehow human life understands that this is the voice of God. This is the word of God. This has come to us from God. And God, in his own way, has, has brought his truth into the world in a book as it was written century after century after century. And there were times where people understood this voice I hear, this, this, this sense that I have, this is the voice of God. And other people around them recognized that's the voice of God, that's the voice of God. And scripture came into being with a strong sense that that's not and this is. This is the words of God. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus was real clear that there is writings in this world that are from God, our creator, and they are given to us and we can absolutely, completely, totally trust them. And, and in these writings, there's so many things. Of course, there's a history of what God has done. And God has been present ever since the beginning of human history, engaging and, 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 and uh, connecting and acting. He's also been speaking. And as God has spoken repeatedly, there's this story that starts to unfold. The story of somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to come. Somebody is going to come and resolve this. He's going to be from God. And, and God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, there's a blessing coming to the whole world through you. And then he spoke to Isaac and he spoke to Jacob and, and one person after another. And, and, and finally we get to something that is very relevant to the whole Christmas message. We reach the person of David. And David lived about 2,000 years ago. 
It was about 1,000 B.C. that he was king of, of Israel. And um, uh, he was, in one sense, a very special king. He was a very symbolic king in God's whole economy of things. And God made a promise to David. And God spoke to this man whom he called a man after his own heart. And when David wanted to build a temple for him, God sent the prophet Nathan. And that voice, that voice that everyone said, this is a word from God, came into the world again. And people recognized it. And, and Nathan told David this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now up to that point, that would have been fairly typical for a king to expect that. Hey, I'm going to have an heir, and he's going to take my throne, and, and I guess he's going to build this temple. But then Nathan goes on, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Your throne will be established forever. And so these words came from the voice of God in a way that people understood. And, and, and David recognized, you're telling me something absolutely impossible. This cannot be. You're telling me I'm going to have an heir who will sit on my throne and he will rule forever. And they understood that this attached to all these other communications that somebody's coming. This is the person. He's going to be a descendant of David. And he's going to rule forever. Now, we can say, gee, maybe that's what, you know, prophets had to say to kings back then. Although there's no record of anyone ever saying this to anyone else in all of history as far as I know. But the voice kept coming. And the voice kept coming. And communication about this king kept coming. And even 300 years later, verses that are very familiar to us were given to the prophet Isaiah. And he heard this, in the future, God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned for to us. A child is born to us. A son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God is going to send a forever king who will rule forever and the government will be on his shoulders and everything will be under him. It will be the kingdom of God. It is the end of all things. It is when God brings it all together and all of it is back in that place where you and I sense it should be. God promises us that. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This world is going to be reunited with me. It's going to be reconnected. It's going to be reconciled. It's going to be redeemed. And it's going to happen to this king.
But God also told his people, if you don't listen to me, if you're not faithful to me, I will destroy you as a nation. You are my representative people. If you're not faithful in that role, I will destroy you as a nation. And he told that to them again and again through prophet after prophet after prophet. But they were unfaithful. And in 597 B.C., God did exactly what he said through Nebuchadnezzar and he conquered Jerusalem and many of the Israelites were taken away into captivity and yet the voice still came and as they were in captivity Ezekiel and the things written there and and what happened through the book of Esther and things described in the book of Ezra and especially in the person of Daniel this creator God who made the world revealed himself in the world by displaying who he was in the greatest empires on the earth and to the Babylonians and to the Persians through several faithful followers of Jehovah. The reality of God was revealed in the world. And in Daniel chapter 2, and in Daniel chapter 3, and in Daniel chapter 4, and in Daniel chapter 6, the ruler of the world came to make statements through events pictured here like this. And this is what Darius, the final king of the Persians, said uh, when Daniel was there, uh, said, related to him, The king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So what we can understand is God wants himself to be known in the world. He wants people to know he's there. And it was not happening to the Jewish nation. So we had them conquered and brought into the greatest empire in the world at that time. And, and he, he humbled the king of Babylon again and again. And he humbled the Persians. And he wrote on the wall. And they actually recorded, we see this God. And the God of Israel is the God of heaven. And king after king said, I want my entire empire to honor and revere this God. Now that means all the, all the wise men, all the intellectuals, all the, all the uh, uh, elite of that time were brought into this sense of there's a real God, there's a real God. Five thirty six B.C., King Cyrus the Great allows the Jews to return to Palestine so they get back to their land, but they live under Persian dominion for 200 years. But the voice keeps coming, and God continued to speak through Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. This is Malachi's uh, words out of Malachi's prophecy in Malachi, the book of Malachi. He says, see, I will send my messenger 
He will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And so the voices through through Micah, the voice is telling them, listen, he's coming, but you may not find that a good day. And then at the end of his prophecy, Malachi says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That is the last sentence in the Old Testament. That's the last time the voice spoke and then it went silent and God had promised them a king was coming God had told them a savior was coming and he spoke to prophet after prophet but the people were unfaithful and all of a sudden the voice stopped and they lived under Persian dominion for 200 years and there was no voice there was no voice there was no voice and then a king came And in 331 B.C., Alexander the Great took control of Palestine. He had conquered the Persian Empire. Now, Alexander the Great would die, I believe, just four years after this. But he was probably the most influential man of that time, uh, uh, for centuries. Um, he uh, um, He was a student of Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, who was a student of Socrates, who was a young man when Malachi gave his prophecies. And Alexander had a great vision in his conquest in that he wanted to bring one culture to the whole world. He wanted to unify the entire world under Greek culture. It was called Hellenization. And, and he was such a visionary and he, he uh, was so caught up with the philosophy of Aristotle that he didn't just bring his army with him. And by the way, he's the only general in all of history that was never defeated. Completely undefeated. He, he, he defeated the Persians when he was 24 years old. And... Um, uh, he took with him, along with his army, so many scientists to study the things around him in the lands that he conquered that people say the cost of it was so huge that never until the American space program was a scientific expedition ever so costly. He had an amazing vision for the world he wanted to create. And he was so successful in starting this process of Hellenization and bringing Greek thought and and Greek patterns and Greek culture and Greek language to the world that when the New Testament was finally written, 400 years later, the stories of Jesus were not written in Hebrew. They were not written in Aramaic. They were written in Greek. And this process of Hellenization, the the Jewish nation struggled with because it was an incredible influence trying to overwhelm them, trying to change them, trying to make them into a shape of the world, not following where they had been. And the control of, of, of this little place called Judea went back and forth and back and forth. Finally, in 186 BC, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes comes on the scene. He, uh, 
does come to the temple, as was prophesied, and he does claim to be God. He gave himself this name, Antiochus Epiphanes, means God manifest. He believed he was God. He showed up. He outlawed and made a capital offense. Any following of the Sabbath, you would be killed. Any possession of scriptures, you would be killed. Circumcising your children was a capital offense and you'd die. When he entered Jerusalem, there was a, there was a three-day period where they think 40,000 Jews were slaughtered and 40,000 were sold into slavery. He entered the temple, went into the Holy of Holies, sacrificed a pig. And it was so horrific that a revolt began that now Hanukkah celebrates as the Jews struggled to get out from underneath this oppression. And you know what's so interesting? Alexander shows up, but there's still no voice. And the world is changing. Antiochus Epiphany shows up and kills thousands. And there's no Messiah. There's no help. There's no voice. And then it changes again, and the Romans come. And in 46 BC, or 63 BC, uh, General Pompey conquers Jerusalem, and it becomes uh, uh, under Roman control. 47 BC, Julius Caesar appoints Antipater the Idumean as procurator of Judea. Well, he was, Antipater was famous pretty much for one thing, his son, um, and his son was Herod the Great. Herod the Great became a sort of vassal king of Judea through the influence primarily of two men. Mark Antony of Mark Antony and Cleopatra fame and Octavius who would become Julius or who would become Augustus Caesar. And what has caught me in all this as you think about the changes in the world from the time of Malachi and the voice stops and what the world was like when the Persians ruled things and, and then the Greeks came and then, and then a whole bunch of people after that and then the Romans and you can look back to this time when these promises were given and you go that is so strange it's like that is so weird and, and you can think about well yeah but there's this guy that's supposed to come and there can be almost a sense of what do Bible stories have to do with this world the Romans are here the Greeks have been here the whole place has been Hellenized it's like those are old weird stories those have no reality here and many of the Jews struggle with that many of them felt that it's like we need to let go of this stuff I mean that is so old that doesn't fit at all what we're experiencing that's not the world that's not life the world had a God the world had a king just a few years after this Octavius became Caesar Augustus, uh, proclaimed himself to be God, and uh, there was someone who introduced the cult of worshiping Caesar in the province of Asia. And uh, let me just share with you what he said in, in 9 BC, so not just, just a few years before things happen in our scenario, and our Bible stories start. The Roman proconsul Paulus, Paulus Fabius Maximus introduced the imperial cult or the worship of Caesar to the province of Asia by marking September 23rd, the birthday of Augustus, as a new beginning for their civil year from his proclamation. Listen to what he wrote about Caesar. It is a day which we may justly count as equivalent to the beginning of everything, if not in itself and in its own nature, 
at any rate, in the benefits it brings. Inasmuch as it has restored the shape of everything that was failing and turning into misfortune and has given a new look to the universe at a time when it would gladly have welcomed destruction if Caesar had not been born to the common blessing of all men. Whereas the providence which has ordered the whole of our life, showing concern and zeal, has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it Augustus, by filling him with virtue for doing the work of a benefactor among men, and by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us and those who come after us, to make war to cease, to create order everywhere, and whereas the birthday of the God was the beginning for the world of the glad tidings, same Greek word for the gospel, that has come to men through him, Paulus Fabius Maximus, the proconsul of the province, has devised a way of honoring Augustus, hitherto unknown to the Greeks, which is that the reckoning of time for the course of human life would begin with his birth. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but it sort of catches me as if 30 or 40 years after this, I was going to bring into the world the message of a savior uh, who was also God, and maybe we should start time from his birth. That might be a little politically incorrect. There was already an understanding that explained all of life that had no place and no room and no need for the promise of what God had spoken. And yet, just four years after that, the voice came again. And a priest named Zechariah heard this through an angel. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And God says, it's begun. And you know what so strikes me out of this Word, Zechariah, I don't know if you catch the, the parallels with, with what was at the end of Malachi, but the very last sentence in the Old Testament carries a number of those phrases. And so it's like Malachi spoke and then four and a half centuries went by and, and the Persians were there and then the Greeks came and the Romans came. The world is completely, completely different. Everything is different. And then God picks up the conversation again and he doesn't miss a beat. He starts exactly where he left off. It's like we're just starting right where we left off. My last statement, my first statement, they just go right together. And that child would grow up and be drawn into the desert and hear the voice tell him that he was preparing a way in the desert for the promised king. And then a young girl, three months after that, heard the voice. And an angel spoke to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. He's here. He's here. He's here. The promise is just about to be fulfilled. And Jesus is born, and angel sings glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, and God speaks to us and says, I am for you. God, rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you despair. for Christ our heavenly Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power, though we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. And Jesus came. And he opened the eyes of the blind. He turned water into wine. He touched lepers' faces and healed them. He raised the dead. And he was caught in the religious intrigue of religious leaders. And he was crucified by the Romans and he died. And even John the Baptist in the middle of his ministry said, Hey, are you the guy? Are you the guy? Because... This is not working out quite like we're thinking it's going to work out. But understand this. When Jesus first showed up, they were looking for three people. They were looking for a Messiah, and they were looking for the prophet, and they were looking for Elijah. Because they knew in all those stories from the Old Testament, hey, somebody is a king, and, and then somebody dies, and then Elijah shows up somehow. So there's three guys we're looking for. We're looking for the prophet who's going to die. We're looking for the king who's going to rule. We're looking for Elijah. And instead of two people, God says, understand this, it's not two people. It's two comings. And there's one mystery left yet for you. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom is eternal. He rules forever, not here. He rules forever in an eternal reign. And, and he's here to call citizens into that kingdom. And yes, he is king right now over every single ruler. It is not Xi Jinping. It is not Donald Trump. It is not anybody else. It's not Vladimir Putin. Jesus is the ruler. How could it be anything else? He's God and infinite. He is the ruler. And God, though everything would have looked like, what happened to all that? I mean, it just seems so weird, so, you know, so old. That's just Bible story stuff. I don't even get that. God entered his creation. God started a kingdom. And he redeemed a people. And I am forgiven in Christ. There was a promise kept. You know, one of the things that really I find so powerful for me is not only was it a promise kept, but it was a promise believed. Because who do you see in that picture there? You see the, the wise men. Now, how many wise men were there? Do, we don't really know, right? We don't know how many wise men there were. Somebody somewhere wrote a song a long time ago or something, and because there was three gifts, they're saying three wise men. But we don't know that. Where did those guys come from? Where'd they come from? They came from the east. We know that. They came from the east. Where do you think they came from? Persia. Where did they know this? How did they know this? 
way back in the time of Daniel when all that understanding of the God of heaven and all of his promises and the fact there was a king that was going to come there were people that said we understand that we believe that we've connected with the real God who's really there we know and they read those writings and they kept those scriptures and they understood God the creator God the God of heaven he is going to send a king and somehow in the stars they understood it's now he's come this king this king this king of all the world this king of all the world has come and maybe it could have been a hundred wise men it said when they came all of Jerusalem was disturbed it's hard to believe that you know three old men showing up on camels would disturb the whole city it could have been a whole entourage he's here he's here he's here where? This is the capital of Jerusalem. We know he's going you know, to end up here. This is the capital. Where's he at? Ah, he's not here. Herod knows. Herod knows this is not just another king. They're not just showing up. Hey, they got a king around here? Because Listen, I'm the king. <laughs> you want to worship me? You can worship me. Herod the Great. Here's my card. <laughs> but he knew. No, 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 no. There's another king, and it's a king I should worship. And so he said to the, the, uh, the wise men, listen, you go find him so I can go worship him. Why in the world is King Herod saying he understands he should be worshiping this king? Because he understands that this is the king of promise. This is God's promise. This is the son of David. This is him. And these wise men had kept this understanding through the promises of God for 500 years. And then God showed them, it's happened. You and I have a promise. Dear friends, I want you to recall both the predictions of foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord. Above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, saying, Where's this promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued on as they were from the beginning. You and I live in this crazy world. we got a president that's getting impeached. we got a whole world that's going crazy politically and financially. And, and, and in your own lives, there's probably a world of stuff swirling around and all that stuff. You know, we got the little, we got the little shepherds. And What does this have to do with real life? Do you believe the promises? Jesus has promised he's coming back for you if you know him. He promised he's coming back for you. Do you? How do you look at those? There are many Jews in Jesus' time that said those things aren't true. Those things, that's, that's silly. That's old. That's not real. And Jesus came. Jesus has told us, I'm coming back. He said it again and again, and then the apostles said it again and again. There's a return, there's a return, there's a return. And that's when it all gets consummated. In your life, are you one of the people that says, I believe the promise. Jesus is coming back for me. Or are you one of the people that go, I don't know, this just seems so old. I am so thankful God has made this promise. I believe it. Jesus, just like he made the world in the beginning, and just like he came in the middle of it, he's going to come back at the end. And all the craziness of human life disconnected from him is all going to come to a close. And all of it 
is going to roll under his nature and his purpose and his plan. We can believe that. We have that promise. When you think of Christmas and the promise was kept, he came. Can you then go to the next promise? He is coming into this world. And can your heart rest in that? Because when he comes, he's coming for you. He's coming for you and me. And I may die before that time, in which case I show up at some gates and they let me in and there he is. Or he may be back in my lifetime. In one sense, and when we talk about terms of the voice, you know, no one's heard that voice for 1,900 years. For 1,900 years, the voice of the word of God speaking truth into the world has been gone. God's been working his spirit. God's been answering prayer. God's been doing lots of stuff. But the voice has not been here. But the promise is here. And I believe it. So when you celebrate Christmas and a Savior came to give you a place at the table, in what? In what's coming in what's coming in a kingdom, a king in a kingdom. God's people, us, we are to be ones waiting for the kingdom. Waiting for the kingdom in hope and bringing the ways of the kingdom into our world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see past all the noise of our culture. You kept your promise. It looked so much like, this is like, this is like over, this is done. I mean, there's so many rulers, so many kings, they have nothing to do with those old promises. But they were all just setting things up, putting the world in the perfect place for the creator of the world to enter into it. And in that same way, Lord, you have left us with a promise that we can reach out and grab hold of as certainly as they could have back then. You will keep your promise. You will be back. A kingdom will start. And we have a place at that table. Pray that hope would bless us, God. Give us peace in a crazy world. Give us peace in crazy circumstances. You are coming back. I just thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen.